millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week, our guest is Alistair Humphreys. Uh, I'm a huge admirer of his work. He's an adventurer, he's an author, he's a podcaster. He's managed to do these incredible feats of endurance and then write them up into engaging, authentic books. We talk about one of his most recent ones, My Midsummer Morning, and why for it he decided to busk through Spain with no money, armed only with a violin and very limited musical talent. You can also hear about the bizarre places that he goes to edit, and why he hates writing books, but also why he keeps coming back. I love the freedom of being my own boss. I love the freedom in the morning of just uh, walking out to my shed and sitting here and thinking, right, today I'm going to get on with whatever, rather than all the other things that uh, real life holds for a lot of people. Um, And then I love the creative freedom that writing books gives me to be able to think of my ideas and conjure them up into books the way that I want to and increasingly these days I'm moving towards self-publishing my books rather than going with some of my traditional publishers so that then gives me even more creative freedom to just do things the way that I want to do. It's all on the way with Alistair Humphreys in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes hello welcome along my name's dan simpson thank you for finding us this is writer's routine uh, where we chat to some of the world's most successful and interesting authors and we see how they got the books from their head down onto the page and how they planned their day and their week and their year to do just that now now this week our guest kind of goes one step further he has the idea then he goes out and he does it often quite ridiculously and extraordinarily and then he comes back and he, he tells the story now i was first made of i was first made aware of alistair humphreys maybe earlier on this year certainly when i got really into his work i've been on a bit of an adventure hype through 2020 i guess because of lockdown it's made me want to plan ridiculous things that i can do when we can actually go out whenever we want Uh, And that led me to his podcast uh, called Living Adventurously, which is little things that you can do every day to just live life a bit more adventurously. Clues in the name. Uh, And then that led me to his feats and his books. Uh, Listen to this. Here are just some of the adventures that he's embarked on through the years. He cycled around the world, rode across the Atlantic. He ran the Marathon de Sable, which is um, a marathon across the Sahara. 
I'm always confused whether I've said that right. Uh, also, he walked the ring of the M25, which I think I enjoy the most. Uh, and he's published all sorts of books about them as well, including My Midsummer Morning, which is the one you can hear about in this week's show. He'll tell us how that was inspired by Laurie Lee, also how he unpacks a huge adventure into a book without it getting repetitive and boring. You can hear how colour coding and getting old-fashioned helps him out with that as well. Uh, and also how he reminds himself that just maybe not everyone knows what it's like to put up a tent in the Siberian desert. So that's on the way. We start, as we always do, with Alistair Humphreys this week, with what he sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. I love the place where I sit down to write. I'm in a shed. <laughs> um, when I wrote a book a few years ago called Micro Adventures, and I'd, I'd hoped to spend the royalties of it on a uh, red Ferrari in a Hollywood mansion, but instead, it, unfortunately, my advance wasn't quite that big, so instead I spent it on a shed which uh, is where I work now. And it's cool. I really like it. It's got the walls are uh, wallpapered with the Ordnance Survey maps that I used for the right in the right, the adventures I did in the writing of that book. Um, the ceiling is covered with different maps of the world because I ran out of wall space. Um, one whole wall behind me is uh, my bookshelves, which every so often when I'm procrastinating writing, I decide to tidy them up. So occasionally they get sorted out into categories of adventure, poetry, how to write kind of books. But as I take them off and use them and jumble them around, they tend to, it tends to turn into a total chaos. Uh, then I've got an enormous, ridiculous green arm, leather armchair. I've got no idea where I acquired it from, but it's uh, like some sort of old explorer armchair, which is quite nice to sit in. I've got a globe, which... Um, Looks very glamorous and expensive, but actually it's made of plastic. But when you open it up, it's got whiskey in it. Um, I've got um, a climbing harness on the hook by the door, because quite often to avoid procrastination, I go and climb a big tree to edit my book. Because <laughs> once you're up in the tree, you might as well just stay there for an hour or until you need a wee. So I tend to edit my books up in high trees. Um, I, I work at a standing desk, so I've got a big, probably five-foot... A homemade standing desk with my computer on where I work and then I've got a sitting down desk with which currently is covered with all sorts of new bits of paper and highlighters and post-it notes for a book that I'm trying to write and on the wall above that is pinned more post-it notes and spider diagrams and stuff like that um, to do with the book that I'm trying to write and then crucially just by my right hand side I've got my digital radio um, which moves through the day from Radio 4 to Radio 6 to Radio 3. <laughs> and then I've got my uh, kettle and my AeroPress to make coffee, not because I'm a trendy hipster, but because it doesn't require any washing up and I don't have a tap in my shed. Sorry, that was a very long answer. No, brilliant, br- brilliantly detailed. So it's very, it's a very busy place that you're, you're, you're working at. I just, so many people uh, would dream of having a, a writing shed or a shed to do their business in. Um, what is it about it for you? Uh, why do you need somewhere separate from from where you live to kind of detach yourself and and go there? Mm. I had um, I had plenty of years of trying to work in the spare bedroom and in the kitchen, and then an ill fated spell in a little conservatory thing, which was so bright I couldn't see the laptop, and got so hot that I used to sit under like a big golf umbrella trying to work. Uh, that none of those worked very well, but. 
I love having shed partly just because it's cool, but the two more useful reasons for me are when I come here in the morning, I think, right, I'm now here to work. I'm not here to fold the laundry and make endless pieces of toast. I'm here to actually do some work. And then equally as importantly, when I leave the shed after the day's work, I return to the house and the world in order to do all the other things that are important in life and to stop working which I find literally impossible to do if I try and do if I when I was trying to do everything uh, in one place I'm probably like a lot of writers or self-employed people at least to get a bit obsessive about it and have the tendency to just work 24 hours a day. Uh, I want to ask more about the climbing trees to edit <laughs> how did that practice begin? <laughs> probably our procrastination like most things that writers do um, but for two years now, I've been climbing a tree on the first Wednesday of every month. Uh, I've got it scheduled into my Google Calendar. And I do that um, for many reasons to do with nature, noticing the world changing, noticing the seasons, getting a little burst of adventure in my lunch break. Um, but the relevant part for your podcast is the is the writing part, which is I realise that it's, I, I really like editing books in different places. So I tend to edit I tend to write in my shed and then I print a load of stuff out and I go somewhere else, a cafe or a bench or up a tree with a printout of papers and a red pen. And that's where I read my work and do all the crossings out and editings. Um, and I love I love climbing trees. And um, I found that if I just took up like a flask of tea and sat up in a tree, then I would there's no distraction. There's no excuse not to just sit there and get on and edit the book. Plus, it's it's kind of fun and different viewpoints as well. Uh, from what what we know about you, um, it, it, I I doubt it's going to be any tree. I mean, I'm expecting a pretty sizable beast. Can you take us through some of the some of the metrics? Well, it's it's chosen by proximity because it's the it's a lime tree that uh, overshadows not overshadows hangs over my shed, so it's just literally outside the window. So that is the shed. That is the tree that I see throughout the years the leaves come and go and the years pass so yeah it's just based purely on practicality and a a low enough first branch to do that all important pull up into the into the branches then you can start climbing now if i were to walk into your uh, very busy writing shed you've already kind of talked to us about the about the post-it notes and maybe the newspaper cuttings and maybe some photos of your trips would i have a clue to the adventure that you're writing about when you're in the middle of writing it, would there be quite a lot of clues that would give it away? Um, yeah, so I've got a good wall full of books, which is years and years of collecting adventure books. So I tend to quite, so either biographies or reference books or photography books, and I, I tend to gather piles of books that are slightly similar and have a connection and a theme, and I tend to pile them up and try and make ways in which I can connect this book to this book and come up with an idea that's my own so I often make those sort of piles um, and then you, the other clue really would just be huge numbers of uh, post-it notes scattered around um, that they seem to be the way that I rule my life um, but actually beyond that probably not that many clues most of the actual I, I tend to uh, take take notes on my phone just when I'm out and about and I tend to take notes in a paper diary when I'm out and about, but all of that gets collected, collated onto my computer. So pretty much all of the actual rough work and proper work is on the computer. I get up at um, 
six and I go to the gym, get back from the gym at eight and then do all the taking of kids to school uh, craziness till just after nine. Then I get to my shed and um, I always turn the plugs off on my shed the night before so that when I turn them on, the radio starts and the kettle is filled and and heating up instantly. Um, I, I'm a big fan of habit calendars, you know, those sort of grids you get when you have to put an X every time you do a task. And for me, I have a, so I have a habit calendar on my wall that I have to do a thousand words writing every day. And I've got another one that I had to do a bunch of pull-ups. So I go do some pull-ups um, on the tree outside my shed. Then I will have some coffee. I'll try and resist the temptations of the easy, lazy temptations of email and social media and commit to just getting on to blast out my thousand rubbish words for the day, um, which in fairness, if I don't faff around, I can usually blast out before lunchtime, make some lunch. And then I tend to do the, the less brainy parts of the day, like um, email and all the other stuff that I've got going on in my life. And uh, I even occasionally would do a tax return or something to to get out of actually having to write a book. Uh, I yeah I hate writing books. I like having written them, but I absolutely hate writing them. I like editing them, but I hate writing books. I don't know why I keep doing it. What for you? What's the what's the toughest part? What really makes you detest it? Oh, it's just so. It, it's so hard. There's so. It takes so long and there's so many options that are more pleasant to do in the in, in the moment than grind some thoughts out of your head into text. Um, and literally any other task to do with my work or normal life I'd rather do than turn a blank page into that terrible first draft of 100,000 terrible words. Once I've done that, then I quite enjoy it after that. But it's that first chunk which does my head in. Can I say one other thing on that? that I've, I've written quite a lot of books that are just normal, normal books of words on a page. Uh, but I've also written a few books that require collaboration with an artist. I'm doing one at the moment, a kid's book about different adventurers. And that really drives me insane. Trying to, it's one thing trying to compile the story of an adventurer. It's another trying to compile all the notes and information and guide in order to help an artist do their work. And I, I did one book and I vowed I would never, ever, ever do it again. And then it won a prize for the best kids book of the year. So then I was persuaded to do a second, which I'm doing right now and hating and vowing to never do a third one. Well, this is something new to me. Tell us more about working with um, working with an illustrator. What what are the things that you need to pull together so so they can draw what you want? So it's, it's one of those kinds of... It's like a big book for, say, let's say for 10-year-olds with about three double pages about each adventurer. So I need to come up with about 500 words of actual story of here's this person and they did this interesting stuff. And then I need to think of all the things that would be interesting for the illustrator to draw. So perhaps the kit that this explorer wore when they went on their adventure or or a, um, an infographic of how high this mountain is compared to that mountain. And uh or some witty anecdotes that we might turn into a, a cartoon strip. So there's there's lots of things that make me that are making me veer to needing a more artistic mind than I naturally have. And I, I struggle a bit with the chicken and egg thing of the artist doesn't know what to draw until I tell them, and I can't tell the artist because he's meant to be the expert at the art. So so um, that that I found really hard. And my le- my lesson on the first one was trying to be very vague which was disastrous. This second book, we're trying to be very rigid of saying, 
right, I'm gonna, we need 50 words to sum up this bit, 50 words to explain what map you need and really break it down into a much more, just a more of a management task rather than a creative writing project, which sounds a bit joyless, but I think actually might uh, keep me vaguely sane this time. So if you hate it so much, <laughs> what um, uh, what do you use to, to keep you engaged in it when you're in that process of, of trying to fill the blank page? And you've said you're scanning through the radio dial, making yourself a cup of a, cu- a cup of coffee. Uh, is there anything that just helps you, you you keep on going when the words on re- are really struggling to come out? Um, I turn off the internet, and I have to forcibly do that. I use the thing called Freedom. Um, which the website just destroys all of my temptation websites. Um, and then I have this a habit calendar I mentioned, which is just a grid of X's up on my wall. And once I start day after day, you don't want to break that chain of X's. So I, ju- I just grind it on. And also I mean, my background is in long, arduous, often quite boring expeditions like cycling around the world or rowing across the Atlantic. So I think I've got quite a, a, a streak in my life of taking on really long, really boring, really hard, really unrewarding stuff in the vague hope that at some point, if if I reach the finish line, that will somehow make me feel happier. Well, I guess two, two questions stem from this then. Uh, not not necessarily about writing. Uh, you, when you're doing these long, tedious, arduous thing, what is it that makes you keep coming back to them? So it's this, it's this desire for for happiness but is it is is it as simple as that is it is it just that that need for kind of a fulfillment that that makes you like where's the joy in keeping on keeping on keeping on keeping on keeping on one of my friends described my life as um banging my head against a brick wall just because it feels really nice when you stop (laughs) um but okay but to actually try and answer your question properly i i love books i i think i have to reverse engineer things really so I really love books I love the impact that books have had on my life and I like the thought that maybe my books can have an impact on some people in their life and I like having written a book and it being out in the world and I suppose earning some cash from it so I like all these things therefore you need to work back from that point to at some point accepting sitting down a blank page for a few months of just grinding it out um and I'm willing to pay that price now because I enjoy the processes of editing. I enjoy the collaborating with an editor or the designer or the artist. I enjoy those parts of it. Um, and then I enjoy the book actually coming out. That makes me feel really proud. Um, and so, yeah, I'm willing to go through those hard yards of the, the early chunk, I suppose, because it feels worth it to me in the long run. There also seems to be somewhat of a, a confliction between some aspects of what you're doing in that, you know, as an adventurer, it's all about discovering new things, being, I guess, to a degree spontaneous and and doing these things that people haven't done before, that you haven't done before, probably testing yourself. So there's that aspect of it. But then there's this, this aspect of you that's quite keen for ritual and routine, you know, ticking off the, crossing off the habits every day, being interested in writing routines is a, just as an idea. Um, can you just kind of, it might be quite hard. Um, expand on that if you can. Well, I think um, people often dream of going on adventures. People dream of cycling to Cape Town to get away from the rat race and the boring constraints of their life. 
and they set off on their bicycles and they quickly realized that every day you put up the tent in exactly the same way and you put the toothbrush in that little pocket and you pack it up in the morning exactly the same way. Nothing is more routine or constraining than the glorious freedom of a big adventure. So I think within that paradox is my um, writing life, really. There's the constraint, the routine of you just have to sit down and do the work and then gradually you'll get to the end of it. Also mixed in with the delicious freedom that I have as a writer of not having a boss, um, being able to skive if I want to and go and do something else. Although actually I never, ever, ever do that. I've got some sort of ridiculous work ethic guilt. But in theory, I could go and uh, just go to the pub for the afternoon. Uh, so I love, I love the freedom of being my own boss. I love the freedom in the morning of just uh, walking out to my shed and sitting here and thinking, right, today I'm going to get on with whatever, rather than all the other things that uh, real life holds for a lot of people. Um, and then I love the creative freedom that writing books gives me to be able to think of my ideas and conjure them up into books the way that I want to. And increasingly these days I'm moving towards self-publishing my books rather than going with some of my traditional publishers. So that then gives me even more creative freedom to just do things the way that I want to do. And all of those things are wonderful, wonderful privileges to have in life. And the only punishment for that freedom is that you just have to sit down in the morning and write a thousand words, which isn't really a great hardship in the big scheme of things, is it? How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Now, before we get back to it with Alistair, just a very quick run through of the ways that you can help us out if you are enjoying the show. If you've learned any tips in like 130 episodes now that has really helped the way that you write, you can follow us on Twitter at WritersPod on there. You can leave us a review if you're listening on Apple. That would really be helpful. Uh, It just takes two seconds. It helps the people that need the advice of our authors find the help from our authors. If you don't listen on Apple, maybe just tell someone that you know. Share it online in a book club, in some writing group that you've got. That would be amazing. You can also help out the show with a little bit of cash every month. Just a dollar or so really goes a long way. Uh, You can get merch with it as well. You've even got the chance for your book to sponsor an episode of the pod. So it may be if your book launch has been slightly dampened, like everything else in 2020, uh, let us help you. Um, We can give it a good old plug on the pod. Uh, To make it happen... Uh, Just support us with a dollar or so every month. It's not a lot. Just a coffee or a pint, whatever your tipple is. If you can pledge that every month, it would be amazing. It goes a long way. I would really appreciate it. You can help us out and support over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Right, let's get back to it then with part two of this week's chat with Alastair Humphreys, talking about My Midsummer Morning, his journey busking across Spain with limited musical talent. Uh, we talk about the inspiration for that trip. Uh, also, he gives some inspiration for adventuring books, if, if you're feeling motivated to do something extraordinary. And we pick things up talking about the writing week and the writing year. Alistair is a man that lives by some routine, as you've heard, and, and, he, and he wants to get things done. He wants to be productive. How much does he think about the future of his writing, though? My challenge for most years has been to get to do one book a year. That's been my thing to to do. But I do uh, a lot of other things as well as actually writing. I do, uh, I give talks, speaking work, I make some films, I do a podcast. So it's not fully on that. But my personal challenge to myself has always been a a book a year. Um, I've fallen past, fallen behind in this year of doom. Um, (laughs) But um, yeah, so I try and make myself do, do, a book a year and in terms of working I I do I've got two kids I do I'm the main um, childcare parent so my working life runs around school days which is ridiculously short uh, so from about if I sprint home from school I can get home about 9.15 till 2.30 when I go and pick up the kids so Monday to Friday miss out half terms sick days inset days and the ludicrously long summer holidays and then in and and that doesn't actually seem to leave that much time to get a book written it's funny isn't it how that school day seems the complete opposite of sprintably short when you're actually there um listen i thought um now is the kind of part where we break up a book i think we'll we'll probably do it with my midsummer morning if that's okay okay um so talking about it, do you remember, because again, I usually speak to fiction authors and it's, it's much easier to distill an idea than it is for someone that's gone out, done an adventure, then, then come back and written it. So we'll, we'll do our best. Uh, can you tell me about the moment that the idea for, I guess, the adventure that became my Midsummer Morning came into your head? It came many, many years ago when I was a student and I first read Laurie Lee's book, as I walked out one midsummer morning, which is the sequel to Side with Rose, and it's a young man setting out to play his violin through, as he walks through Spain. And it's a beautiful book and a lovely, carefree, simple, vagabond adventure, exactly the sort of thing I love. So I 
from then I thought I'd love to do this, but I can't play the violin. And actually the thought of having to play music in public terrifies me. So I ditched the idea or parked the idea for about 15 years because it was just too scary to consider playing the violin. But uh, lots and lots of things happened. Eventually I decided, right, this is what I'm going to do. So I started to learn the violin and I spent one month hiking through Spain with no money at all and only my seven months of violin practice, which I learnt was definitely insufficient uh, with which to pay the, pay the way. So I walked 500 miles through Spain playing my violin, earning every single penny from my busking. At what point in that adventure are you, are you thinking about it as a story as well? Are you thinking about it as a book that you might end up writing? Well, I've been thinking about turning adventures into books for as long as I've been dreaming of adventures. So I, my adventures began pretty much at the start of university because um, I loved reading adventure books and I wanted to do adventures. And therefore, I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if I could be a, tr- a writer? It seemed very unrealistic, but exciting. So the adventure and the story has always been completely linked up in my mind. Um yeah, so whenever I think of an adventure, I'm also thinking of the writing. But I do always think of the adventure I want to do, and then the book comes, not the other way around. I guess on a practical level, before you you're, you're sitting down to to write the 100,000 words book, uh, how are you charting your progress on the adventure in a way that will make you able to then write it down? Well, I, I in great admiration of fiction writers, I always aspire to writing fiction. But it's so much easier to write about your adventures because all you do is <laughs> open up a new page and just start writing about yourself. Or well, it's even easier than that because I I always write extensive diaries on my trips. So the first part, first way I write a book is I come home and I just type up all of my diaries. And that then means I've got an initial skeleton of some sort of structure just to begin with. The end structure will be completely different, but at least that's my beginning. So yeah, I start by just typing up my diaries and then that roughly gives you a point A, here's the start, these things happen along the way and there's the end. Um, and then there's a huge amount, well, in my case, there's often a lot of restructuring and trying to make the truth more truthful by putting it in a different part of the book and shuffling it around. Um, but that's my beginning structure is just from typing up the factual diaries. So I would imagine quite a lot of your work as a writer is the edit, isn't it? It's the it's the restructuring of things. When you've written down your diaries, how do you go about uh, spotting themes, spotting a, a thread of different narratives that can be that can be woven together? How do you begin on that process? Well, so this book we're talking about now, my Midsummer Mornings, a good example here because some of my early when I cycled around the world the books I wrote for those were pretty straightforward it was just I went here and this happened and this happened and this happened this happened the end and that's how I wrote those books but this Spain book I started writing it like that but as I was very aware of during the journey nothing really happened so I went to Spain I played the violin and I was terrified because I'd never done it before but someone gave me some money and then from then on I just had a lovely time walking and busking all the way to the end <laughs> and which was wonderful to do but I was very conscious at the time that this is going to be a really boring book <laughs> uh, but still that's what it was it is what it is that's the thing with uh, adventure writing you just it is what it is so I, I sent that off to my publisher Half Collins and they quite rightly but politely said this is really boring nothing happens here <laughs> um, so I then had to which I just had to say yeah you're exactly right so then 
I needed to do a total restructure and rethink of the whole book. And this is a wonderful advantage that writing books has versus making a film. Because I'd also filmed the trip, but what you filmed is all you've got. You can't, you can jumble it around in the edit, but that is really all you've got. Whereas with the book, I had the fantastic benefit of being able to have not only the chronology of the trip, but also to decide to add in a whole extra structure of book to try and make it um, make it more interesting, which in this case was I decided for the first time to write really honestly about becoming a dad and the struggle I found between being a, a carefree, selfish adventurer and now a stay-at-home dad. And uh, that sort of struggle of the years of trying to learn to deal with all of that was actually one of the reasons why I'd wanted to do this Spain book in the first place. But I hadn't written all that because that kind of felt like my private life. And I, all I should really wanted to write at first was the travel narrative. But once it, once that was vetoed as being rubbish, I had to just think, well, actually, come on, let's just be, it's time to be really honest and really truthful and build a whole new structure into the book. Now, when you've got the structure, when you've got the, the, the diary, when, when you're parlaying that up into, into more, I guess, a novelization, not, not strictly, but, uh, how much are you thinking about the tone of voice and the actual words that are on the page that are telling this story? Well, what's interesting about, say, walking through Spain or cycling a continent or rowing an ocean is that it's extremely repetitive. And there are some incredibly boring travel books out there, uh, in particular, very boring long distance cycling books, because every day is pretty much the same. And if you try and write about every day, it just gets really boring. So what I did with this Spain book was I would try to look for for themes. So, for example, I, in my diary, I'd write several instances of, oh, I sat down and had breakfast and the shepherd said hello. And then the next time, be, oh, I had sat down and had peaches for breakfast. So then I'd combine all these things to make it, I'm eating peaches and the shepherd says hello. So I'd condense all these different incidents of similarish kind of stuff and lump them together to try and make a an actual coherent, interesting scene. And the way I tend to do that is quite old school. I um, well, I do. I, it's a mixture. Actually. I use Scrivener, so from that I can do lots of searching for words like breakfast. I find all the mentions of the word breakfast, and I try and then online cobble them together into something interesting. But one a way that I really enjoy is that I just print out my whole book with each chapter reduced to one page. It's often ridiculously tiny font, like four point font with tiniest little margins. And then I get a load of felt tips and highlighters and things. And I start color coding the whole book. So yellow equals breakfast scenes, green equals heartbreak in the busking. And, and I, and once I do all of these colors, that gives me an idea of the variety of themes I have in the book which ones are good, which ones I should probably get rid of, which ones are very repeated and need combining together. And then I get ridiculous in this digital age as I get out some scissors and I start cutting up all these pages and rearranging them on my shed floor. So I'm literally walking over the layout of my manuscripts. And if I print things small enough, I can put the entire book laid out and sliced up on my floor. Um, and then I can turn all that back to the computer. And I find the, the mixture of doing things on a screen versus doing it on my hands and knees with felt pens and scissors. It really gives me, for some reason, gives my brain a lot of clarity. 
again, this is so much easier than for fiction writers because I really, I sort of had two threads running through it, which roughly went in alternate chapters. So what I would do is just ignore all of, say, the fatherhood stuff, and I'd just do all the Spain chronology chapters, and I'd make them till that felt like this fits A to B, beginning to end. And that's the sort of non-negotiable bit because that's the trip. And then I'd lay layer into that the the backstory of uh, my adventurous youth, becoming a dad, feeling constricted, feeling constrained, feeling resentful, feeling guilty, wanting to go off on adventures, wanting to be at home with my kids. All these um, feelings which uh, um, I had, trying to put those into coherent uh, flowing chapters spliced in between them and then knowing that at the end um, hopefully uh, there would be a nice happy ending in which the the hiking part of the journey during that I would have the epiphany that actually I do like being a dad and all is good in the world and that could tie in with the parenting chapter and come to a nice happy ending um, so there's no I, there was none of this sort of John McPhee, incredibly elaborate, clever kind of stuff. I was trying to really just get two chronological things to thread together like a zip. Also, I mean, this is kind of back to the, the question about words on the page, but half the thing about your adventures, and you've already touched on this, is that, that they, they can be all like arduously hard work and, and quite terrifying for you, like walking across the desert, running across the desert, cycling around the world. Uh, how much effort are you trying to put into putting a reader into the, your place and making them feel just how awful it was and also how joyous it was at times? How are you making sure that's authentic for us when we're reading? Something I, I really struggle with is taking so many things for granted. And the old mantra of show, don't tell is something that I used to end up putting in massive letters somewhere because I'm ter- I'm awful at doing that. I just sort of assume that everyone knows what it is like to put up a tent in Siberia minus 40 degrees and therefore I don't need to bother you with that and I'll just crack on with the deta- with what, what I had for tea that night. But So trying to remember that so many of the things I can see and feel in my head don't exist in my reader's head unless I put them there. So... Um, these are actually the times when I wish I'd had some actual writer training in life beyond GCSE English, when I, I wish I'd learned some of the actual skills of how to be a good, proper writer. Um, and mine always feels fairly cack-handed and naive of just trying to think I cover the senses, five senses, make sure I'm showing what's happened. And saying this now just sounds absolutely I'm feeling a complete <laughs> imposter as a writer now, but I think I just try to not take for granted what's in my head and I try and get that onto paper. Does that sound rubbish? No, that sounds perfectly fine. It sounds, it's, <laughs> okay. it sounds, it sounds very normal. Now, lastly, okay. I think, lastly, I think on books, um, if you're trying to write a book a year um, and they've been quite wide ranging from, you know, kids' books and almost coffee table books and, and these non-fiction books. What have you... Aside from making sure they use the five senses, uh, what have you learned about about how to tell stories, about how to t- write books? What have you learned that, uh, that that means you're better now than hopefully you were when you started? Mm. Um, yeah, I've written a few different styles of books. So 
I've written a few books that are trying to help a person specifically with an issue in life, whether that's planning small little adventures around daily life or planning massive adventures when you want to quit your job and head to the world or just trying to live each day with a bit more curiosity. So there are three examples of books I've written where I'm trying to help people. And one of the things I've really that's really helped me improve with that is not just assuming that I know what everyone wants help with, but actually asking. So now I ask so many questions online to my audience. So I'm I I often really often ask little questions on Twitter which sound a bit innocuous, but I'm are really helping me decide which book to write or which theme to go for. I use Google Forms a lot. Uh, for getting people to answer questions um, about stuff and figure out what people need. I, I probably use spreadsheets more than a lot of writers. I do a lot of uh, spreadsheet things where I search for, I, I work out which words are most occurring in, in people's responses and figure out what, what's important. So I guess I'm trying to drill down to not just answering what I think is interesting, but what is actually interesting and helpful. So that's that's one side of the books. Then the, the the more sort of storytelling books like the um, My Midsummer Morning, the 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 way I'm making those better is just by reading a lot more. I've just been years and years of reading and reading and reading helps me become a better writer. So uh, I think that's the only thing I've done on that. And increasingly, actually, now that I've started to self-publish my books, is um, to be willing to seek search hard for and pay whatever it takes in order to get good editors and good people helping with the books. I wrote a book a few years ago about walking across India and it was a solo walk, it was a solo project and it was a solo publishing thing and I took great pride in being the author and the editor and the proofreader and did everything myself and no one saw it until the day of publication and I was so proud of that and I still am really proud of that book but I had to read it again recently to turn it into an audio book. And all I could think was, well, this book really needs an editor. <laughs> uh, so trying to trying to invite in as much help as possible into my little shed, I think, is what's really helped me. You said you're quite uh, you're reading quite a lot um, to make sure you're better. If someone is listening who wants to start off reading adventure, reading adventurously, uh, where, where would you suggest they start? What's the best adventure book to your mind? Oh gosh, that's a well. well I've got Apart a, from my Midsummer Morning. Yeah, well, Laurie Lee's uh, as I walked out one Midsummer Morning is often up on my list. Um, oh, you put me right on the spot. I love David Roberts, the American uh, climber. Um, if he, he writes really good books, climbing books are great because usually loads of people die and it's properly on the edge. Uh, if the polar, um, I don't think a better book's been written in the last century than The Worst Journey in the World um, about Scott's expedition. Um, Tracks by Robin Davidson is brilliant. Wild by Cheryl Strayed is a fantastic travel book that went big in the mainstream. Um and I've done a blog post on my website called Adventure Reading 101, which has got a good summary of some essentials in the genre for those that I've forgotten. And lastly, this is away from books. This is more philosophically, I guess. Um, you've been able to do a lot of incredible adventures and then write about them. And now you're and you're always doing something in, no, in a novel way, like editing up a tree or now what, you want to self-publish everything. Uh, what is in it for you? What, why do you keep coming back to it? If there was one reason, one theme for everything, 
that you're doing this this quest what what, what would you say it is i think the freedom to make my choices and stand or fall by them so yeah i think a lot of it the travel the choice of trying to be a writer it comes down to just wanting to have that freedom i think and that is it for this week's writer's routine thank you so much for listening thank you to alistair humphreys for coming on the show um he's got loads of books over on his website which is alistairhumphreys.com including my midsummer morning you can also listen to his podcast living adventurously i think he's on series two or three right now there are uh, quite a lot of episodes that you can catch up on they're all excellent um uh, and if you want to get a copy of his book by the way it would be really helpful to us if you use the link that you will find in the episode notes wherever you're listening uh, and over at writersroutine.com as well. Next week, you can hear from the Costa Book Award winner, the Carnegie Medal winner, uh, Sally Gardner. She'll be on chatting about her new magical fantasy adult novel, The Snow Song. That is next week on Writers Routine. Uh, I will see you then. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>